Hello and welcome to podcast 42 from Football Adania, your home of Dutch football. I'm Michael Statham and I'm with James Rowe and Michael Bell to discuss the latest Dutch football news, including the Netherlands' progress to the semi-finals of the Nations League and the latest Eredivisie news, including the title race between PSV and Ajax and new financial arrangements, which could, which could change the future of the Eredivisie. You can listen to us on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes and our new home on Australian radio show, Football Nation Radio. We hope you enjoy. James, Mike, good to have you here. Um, we should start by talking about the Nations League semi-finals. So the Dutch have reached the last four of the competition, having got through a group containing France and Germany. That's the big news. That is the, it's fantastic for Dutch football and it just shows the progress that Ronald Koeman and his players have made since he took over only at the start of this year. Um, I just want to get your, your guys' thoughts on um, how they played against France and Germany and how much progress the, these two games have shown from the Dutch national team. I think as, as fans, uh, you know, the Dutch national team have seen for the past, what, three years, how, how horrible it's really been since the, the 2014 World Cup. Um, it's been quite down watching it, but it's... These past two international breaks have been fantastic to see um, and the Dutch national team is really full of confidence in one. It's great to see and it's back, we're back amongst the, the best nations in the world and we can compete against them, beating France quite comfortably, beating Germany quite comfortably. You've got so many new talents coming through. It just seems all so positive at the moment. Um, you know, Ronald Koeman deserves huge credit for what he's done. He's turned basically everything around and, you know, you go into these international breaks looking forward to seeing everyone's now, which probably wasn't the case at this time last year. Um, and who's to say that we can't win this Nations League in the final four? I think it's going to be very, very open. And then we go into the Euro 2020 qualifiers full of confidence. And then, you know, this side's more than capable of getting back to a major tournament and competing for, for titles again. I agree. I think uh, Mike makes a great point about what the fans have had to go through with missing the last two major tournaments and to get through to a Nations League semi-final uh, in a very, very difficult group, um, playing so well, especially at home to Germany and the, the climax in Gelsenkirchen as well when they were when they were down and it wasn't looking possible and, and they fought back in the way they did. I thought the result against France was very telling. I thought the atmosphere played a massive role. Um, in the past, we've often spoken here about changing the stadium to ensure a better atmosphere. And I think the change to Rotterdam de Kalp has really brought has really brought that to the fore and really helped. But my first, my personal opinion is I take nothing away from the Netherlands in terms of how they played and they fully deserve all the plaudits they get. But my own personal opinion is watching that game against France in Rotterdam. When you looked at when I looked at the body language of Mbappe and Griezmann, it looked as if they didn't really want to be there. And I, I looked at the the, um, the fixtures of the Nations League. You have four Nations League. You have uh, three Nations League matches condensed into four to five weeks now. Whereas before you, there was a fair there was a fair long gap between. Uh, club football commitments and then national team duty and I think when that's condensed into such a small amount of time that I think that can, can grate on the players a little bit personally. I mean if you've got club commitments of Champions League football, domestic football and then you've got condensed Nations League games on top of that, I think that can play a part. I think France as well, they missed 
uh, Lucas Hernandez. I think they missed Pogba. And I got the impression that they didn't really want to be there. I mean, you know, they've, they started their World Cup. Um, you know, they um, they won the World Cup and they were the best team at the tournament, in my personal opinion. And then after that, you you know, you've got, you carry the tag of being world champions. I don't think it's weighing too heavily already. But I just think so many games condensed into a small amount of time for the majority of those players. I think uh, I got the impression that they'd, uh, they would have rather been somewhere else, to be honest. Over the course of the season, uh, I guess these games will take their toll, including on the Dutch national team players. But from our point of view, you know, looking in and watching these exciting matches, I think it, it's great that we've got to have these competitive matches against France and Germany. And it actually means something. Um, and it, for me, in my opinion, I think that these extra fixtures are great from a fan's point of view. And that's ultimately what it's all about. Yes, it, might, it must be more tiring for the players, but didn't we all have fun in that international break? And Ronald Koeman's turned this around in 10 games. That is the key part for me, that he's just he's turned it around so quickly. And that brings me on to the questions that we've had in. And thank you very much, everybody that sent in the questions this week. Abdul asks, we're witnessing a, a new dawn of Arania that many of us did not see coming. Why did it happen so suddenly when many of us were hopeless a few months ago? So that brings me to my point again, where I said at the start of the 2018, Ronald Koeman's come in. So how has he swept this and changed the fortunes around so much? We're in the final four of the Nations League. Like, this, is a, this is a huge achievement. I think um, he's been helped by, you know, the influx of players um, that are coming through and also just a change of tactics around certain things. I think um, at the start of his reign, he, he started again with a 5-3-2. Uh, it didn't really work. He's gone back to a 4-3-3. But that's because he's got the players now to play it. Um, you've got Frankie de Jong coming through, who's been magnificent. And I think he controlled the game against France um, from the midfield. He, you know, players like Conte just couldn't deal with him. And that's... I, he's probably the, the biggest Dutch talent around at the moment. Then you've got Memphis up front. You know, moving him through the middle has just been a sensation as well. You know, Leon, Leon do it now and uh, Cummins uh, copied that. And you see him when he pulls on a Netherlands shirt, he's just so so happy to be there and he's so energised whenever he's on the pitch. And uh, these these players are taking the game to a narrow level under Cummins that they didn't have under Advocate or, or Blind. I think to add on to Mike's point now about at the end with regards to Advocat and Blind, we've now got a national team manager who's so determined to succeed, but more importantly, has experience of moulding a competitive team at club level, and um, and that is pay, that is that is proving to be uh, to be very successful. I mean, if you think of Kumi's experience, not just with foreign clubs, but in, with Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, also his stint at RZ. Knowing the Dutch psyche as well and wanted to succeed, I think he's, he had his fingers burnt with the disappointments at Everton and Southampton. And he's, he's so determined, and I think he's enjoying the role and he's enjoying the job. I mean, when he was first announced as national team manager, somebody asked him in his press conference, You're not going to walk away from us, are you? If a big club comes in, he said, No, he said, I'm here until uh, 2022 and I'm here to see. Uh, to see this out and make us a competitive nation again and he's uh he's true to his word i think it's brilliant the way he, he can identify in the case of denzel dumfries you know he was uh, he's made he's had such a rapid rise but he doesn't look out of place 
at international level and that's a massive help you know the, the talents like De Jong and De Ligt coming into their own and, and, and enjoying international level and this was always going to be a long road I think we're slightly ahead of where everybody thought we were going to be especially in, in terms of you know final four of the Nations League and, and, and beating the last two reigning world champions but it's, uh, there's still a long way to go uh, Mike made a very good point in a previous pod a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, I believe that the striker's role needs to be refined, and I think that's um, I think that's a good point as well because I think that will come into play in the final four and maybe the final itself. Yes, Memphis is on a massive, uh, on a massive, he's riding a massive crest for a wave, but to have other options as well, you know, that could be the difference between winning the Nations League and not winning the Nations League. But they can go to Portugal next summer with an awful lot of confidence and they will because they deserve to be there as much as the other three nations and uh, there's no reason why they can't win this Nations League. It was good to see that Kimmon had options from the bench as well which has not been the case. Um, I think Tony Vilhena came off against Germany, totally changed the game and even you know, Luke de Jong coming on, um, you know, the striker is a problem but you know, having somebody that can come up and just win battles area in the air and uh, him alongside Virgil van Dijk at the end um, was you know, some great tactics that came along from that note from the assistant coach. Um, and you see Luke de Jong right now, he's playing with so much confidence for PSV that he even scored an overhead kick at the weekend. It was, it was spectacular. And uh, it's nice to see that it's not just the, the starting 11 that we've got and there's not really anyone else. There's like options all over the place at the moment. Yeah, a really great recap from both of you there about what the strengths have been over these last few months and the progress that's been made by Koeman and the players um, and none more so in my opinion than Koeman's tactics I think that's been a, a big help as well um, in the way they play and the, the confidence that he has in his players to play certain roles he start he came in and started with five at the back and that's now developed back into the old 4-3-3 but with a lot more fluidity um, with the way players will play their roles um, such as Frank de Jong, he's playing in the middle of the park, but he does drop back in to make a back five and that still holds that solid structure at the back and if they get caught in the counter-attack, there's always players back for that situation. Uh, and I think that maturity from Koeman over the likes of Advocates, Blint before, which were very um, stuck in their ways with the 4-3-3 and the way it had to be done, but Koeman said, no, it doesn't have to be done this way. We've got the players to play these formations. These are the team's strengths. Let's play to them. Let's stick to them. And that's, for me, the main reason why we've had this success. Although, yeah, it has really helped having these young players come through and really excel at this level already. Um, and another question we had in asked, um, which lessons should the Dutch learn from this game with Germany? And that's a good question because even though the Dutch got their result against Germany, a 2-2 draw, um, and on the face of it, a draw away in Germany is a great result for the Dutch. But having seen how the Germans have performed over the last year or so, um, on, on all levels, friendlies and the World Cup, really didn't the Dutch have a poor first hour to the game? I just wonder what you guys thought about that match and what can we take from that in a positive and negative side? Uh, the positive will be that they were able to fight back and, and fight until the end. And um, I think it will stand them in good stead to start matches quicker at this level I think it will help the, the the team season out and gain more confidence as time goes on you saw the pace of uh, Leroy Sané and the, the pace and the trickery was um, 
was sometimes a bit difficult for the, for the defenders to deal with so that they need to be a bit more aware of that I think going back to 4-3-3 will help being able to play in different formations also you know this is this is all relative but you know having when you've got Koeman not just as his managerial career but also playing career when you compare that to to um to Danny Blind for example it's it, it's it's chalk and cheese and, and you know you the Dutch FA have now made this appointment back in February okay four years too late but better late than never and I think Kuman's experience at club level as a manager and, and even the little things I mean you saw his facial expression when they were down against Germany and not looking as if they were going to react that he had a face like thunder and wanting to put things right and I think um, I think as time goes on you'll see more and more of a cohesive unit but I think they I think they've got to learn going forward at, at international level maybe to start games especially away from home just that little bit quicker in the first half for example I also think um, you know one of the big lessons you learn from that is Sometimes don't change a winning team just for the sake of it. Um, I think we can all say Denzel Dumfries was excellent against France. And it just came as a shock when he was dropped for, for Kenny, Kenny Tete, who, who was horrific um, in the first hour. And he got torn apart time after time by Oyarisani. Even having him next to Delict, it seemed to put him off as well. And he had a, you know, an error-prone first half hour, you know, like something that's crucial is the defence that was so strong against France you know why change it just for for the sake of it and putting somebody that's not even playing I must interrupt just here because uh, were the were, were a couple of players not only dropped because of injuries and fitness I thought Dumfries was dropped for Tete because of um, an, a small injury he picked up but I, I can't yeah. say for sure that's, the, that's, no, the, um, that's what we uh, the rumour over here was especially after afterwards news filtered out that he was but he was injured, but as I say, he's on he's on course to nail that right back spot down for many, many years to come. I mean even even when Daniel Janmart is, 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 is fully fit and playing for Watford, I think you've got a case to um to pick uh, to think um freeze over him and that, that says a massive uh, um, it's a massive statement for a player of only twenty two years of age. So I read it is um Bergwein was injured and Kuman decided to change it because he wanted to try a different combination on the right, um, so he took both of them out. Yeah, and and that was that came as a surprise to me when I saw it too, and I, I could only have assumed that that was the case, because they they played so well together, Dunfordies and Berkvine on the right wing, but perhaps that that link up instead with having Tato in there, yeah, but he didn't have the best game, uh, and and I agree with you, Mike. Delict wasn't that as confident, and he did not have his best game uh, that evening. I think he he could have been a lot closer to the German strikers, but it did show that he had a, a slight lack in pace and Werner was able to take advantage of that on, on a few occasions. I think it improved in the second half um, defensively. It's just the first half hour. And I think that's been a, a problem for, one of the problems for Kuman so far is in some games, he seemed to start very slowly. Um, the away game against France, the, the whole match against Chile, and uh, there's a couple of hours where they found themselves down within the opening like 20 minutes. Um, and it's something that Kevin probably needs to look at going into, you know, the more important Euro 2020 qualifiers. Okay, well, James, Mike, is there any last points you want to mention about the Dutch national team in this international break? I just think it's great that we can see a, a country that's held in such high regard still, even after missing two major tournaments by many, many of their fellow nations. 
and also their um, what they've achieved in the past. And it's nice to see green shoots uh, coming after such a, a spell in the doldrums. There is a, there's still a bit of a way to go, but I think this will culminate in the Netherlands um, quite potentially winning the Nations League. For me, it depends on who they draw in that semi-final. But, but more so than that, I think this is the, the base has been set now for them to go on to have a uh, hopefully a very good qualifying campaign and, and hopefully this, uh, this will culminate in a very, very positive Euro 2020 uh, international tournament and a, a return to the, a major tournament on an international stage. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just great to, to watch this national side at the moment. I think a year ago when it the draw was made, I don't think any of us would have said that Netherlands would have won this group. And uh, that's what's happened. I think, um, you know, it annoys me to, to think that some of the nations might not be taking it seriously because I hear that a lot um, from our podcast. might say that, you know, the Belgians, the Spains, the Frances might not have taken this competition very seriously. That's easy to say because they didn't get through. I think the, you know, England are taking it very seriously now that they're into the, the final four. I think Switzerland... Portugal and now Netherlands, they'll all be saying it's a great tournament. I think in hindsight, it's, it's I think it's a bit um, disrespectful to say that some of these top nations didn't try or didn't want to go far in a competition because you know it didn't really matter to them. Um, I think if they got through, then you'd see that they'll all be trying to win the trophy and make uh, history as the first one to ever win it. Too right, and I think the perfect case for that is uh, Germany because after such a torrid World Cup you think they want to come back with a vengeance uh, but that wasn't the case and they were embarrassed by the French and the Dutch. Okay a final point on Frank Dion then so he's had a fantastic international break uh, just wanted to get your guys opinion on where you think he might be in, in a year's time and just how good he is. For me he's a sensational talent and one that we've not seen coming through the Netherlands um, for years I think he plays a brand of football that is so fearless and um, just a brand of football you don't really see on a the pitch these days you know clubs don't like to take risks um, managers don't like to take risks and you know you read articles about Frankie de Jong and he was told when he was younger by the Royal Toy coach Jurgen Strepp to stop dribbling so much and you know Frankie would just ignore it and you can't take that away from him because he's such a such a talent who relies on his dribbling, his ability to just breeze past players at will and uh, open up space for others. You saw players like Wijnaldum saying that he loves playing with him. He's got so many plaudits over the past international week, you know, the, the Telegraph saying that after Cruyff we have Frankie and he's a generational talent and one that's, you know, the price tag keeps going up and up on and uh, I think in a year's time they're going to have a scramble for his signature. I think if he has goes further in the Champions League and goes far in the Nations League, then you're going to have every single club, big club in Europe, wanting them. Um, me personally, I hope he goes somewhere where he can develop as a player, whether that's under Pep Guardiola, if he gets guarantees of a playing time, um, that might work for him. Um, and uh, Manchester City might be a very good option for him if he gets, if they want a replacement for Fernandinho. Um, Bayern Munich as well. I think there's a couple of clubs around Europe that are going to go for a big change in the summer. I think Real Madrid's one of them. And uh, they might see Frankie as uh, the next Galactico if they were willing to pay an extreme amount for him. I hope he doesn't pick PSG because I think um, I wouldn't want him there. Um, but I think any other big club would be a good option for him. Having watched him since he broke through 
and watched him firsthand and watched him grow. To be in the position he's in now at the age of 21 and to have such a presence at club level, European level and international level, as Mike says, it's a once in a generational talent. And his attitude as well, he always plays with a smile on his face. Doesn't matter what, whether he's, if he's playing at home to Emin, if he's playing away to, uh, in, the, in, the, in Europe, if he's, if he's playing uh, in the Nations League, you know, he's always playing with a smile on his face and always so mature and I think can enjoy the advice of his fellow pros. For me, um, I just hope he goes somewhere where he's going to play all the time. I don't want him to be stunted with a manager filling his head with all tactical jargon just let him play um, my prediction is that Barcelona are going to push very very hard for him and I think he may well end up there but if you said to me where would I rather see him go I would rather see him go to, to Bayern Munich because I think they'd look after him I think Bayern Munich's play in the position Bayern are in at the minute they need a playmaker going forward in the, in the middle of the pitch to, to d dictate and I think if Bayern was to secure his services I think that could be a masterstroke. So we all, we all agree that he's a, a marvellous player and he's going to go very far but um, a huge question for you both is is he going to be as good as, as Krauf? Is he going to be as influential? No, no <laughs> because you're, you're, talk, you're talking about someone that transcends football you know you're t I, that's what, exactly what Jan Krauf did he transcended football, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, he just changed the way people thought about people. Uh, thought about people. People looked at football. You know, you look at what he changed, not just here in Amsterdam, but also with Ajax as well. I mean, you could talk about him for hours, but I think, you know, Frenkie de Jong is a is a generational, once in a generation talent. He needs to be continued to be nurtured and he certainly must not be curtailed by any manager he receives in future because let him naturally play his game and we will all see the benefit of that. Yeah, I totally agree with James. I think um, Cruyff, he didn't just change Dutch football, he changed Netherlands as a whole, as a country at the time it was um, when he broke through. He, he took the nation by a scruff of the neck and uh, I don't think you're going to ever see somebody do that again um i think play wise he's going to transform this dutch national team at the moment and um, you've seen it for the better already he's he's, the, he's one of the main reasons for me that netherlands won the nations league group the way he dominates the midfield um, and i think that's great going into the big tournaments that are going to be ahead i think uh, when you look ahead to euro 2020 um you know if people wanted to say who's going to be the stars of the tournament now you'd you'd circle his name as being one of the potential big names of that tournament um, and he's just a joy to watch I think uh, if you've never seen him in action you know you know, watch him because he does stuff on a pitch that you just don't see um, in many other games for many other players. Now we must move on to um, the Eredivisie and there's a big talking point in this last week about how the the Netherlands as a whole was changing the way that the, the, the money would be distributed amongst the league's clubs. Um, Jordan is wondering what we thought about the money being distributed by the big three clubs, Ajax, PSV, Feyenoord, amongst the rest of the Eredivisie. Um, he just wondered what we thought about it and is it going to be a positive? Is this the way forward for the Netherlands? Is this the only way forward? I think um, this change is positive when you look at this season. Um, you know, Ajax and PSV are 
far too good for the rest of the teams in it at the moment. Um, you know, there's competitive games below them, but when it comes to you know, Ajax against uh, the lesser sides like Emin, um, NAC Breda, like they played yesterday, like they park the bus and try and frustrate them. It's not, you know, that great a preparation for a big Champions League game when you're just like controlling games so easily. Um, and something had to change, and you want to see these teams being able to compete with the top two. And this is only what's going to happen. It, I think their divisions as a whole could have gone further. I think the big teams will probably be a bit disappointed that there was resistance to changing um, artificial pitches. There's two or three clubs that would just not agree to it, and they're going to be the ones that miss out on <coughs> the distribution of money because they're just um, refusing to help out in that regard and that's frustrating because I think um, you know the division can get back to being a competitive league but it's not going to be up there with the top five unless certain things change and one of them is the the pitches and um, it's annoying that some of the clubs just can't can't see that. Uh, some of the clubs to elaborate on that Mike some of the clubs themselves they're so careful in terms of budgets so careful in terms of forward thinking in terms of making sure that there's enough money to pay for certain things and the fact that they're supervised by the Dutch FA uh, some can be far too cautious which leads to situations like this like a resistance in terms of the, um, as silly as it might sound the upkeep of a natural grass pitch or uh, weather scenarios these kinds of things you know some are a little bit too overcautious in terms of the contractual obligations that they have to fulfill and it you know like you say i fully agree with you you know to show resistance is a bit of a shame but i can understand in some cases cases the reasons why but, but you would hope that this is a good start and um yeah fingers crossed as i say it's not the only thing uh, that they can do and i'm sure they'll look to do more piece by piece but obviously it's not going to happen overnight Ultimately, as a whole, you're looking at the having to strengthen the, the top teams in the league in order to strengthen the whole league because you want the, the top teams in the Netherlands to be competing well in European competitions. Everything filters down. However, at the moment, you've kind of got this imbalance of the top two teams being far too good for the rest and the rest teams getting a little bit weaker. Hence the money change where the lower teams can earn some of this benefits that the top teams are getting. Um, but you have to look at the bigger picture and the, the top Dutch teams do need this success in Europe ultimately and whatever the, the Netherlands can do to support that is important because, as I say, the bigger picture, these top clubs are the ones that own the best Dutch players for the Dutch national team. You're seeing now De Jong, De Ligt, Dumfries, Berkvine as just four examples of players that are benefiting from this extended period of the Dutch teams in the Champions League, that might happen over winter too for Ajax. That keeps those players in the Netherlands developing longer. That's important. Uh, and if this brings me on to a um, comment from someone on Twitter, Vim, he said, after 10 years of good clashes of winning the Eredivisie, poor performances in Europe, we finally have a good Champions League being played by Dutch teams. Um, but it looks like the price is, is, is to pay for, is to have all the Eredivisie matches given for granted. As we were mentioning, as Mike said, Ajax playing Emmen, Nat Breda and just having easy runouts. So he wonders, how can we solve this problem um, by, without losing the, our interest in the Eredivisie? 
Um, and I think one of the things that we had already is, um, yes, you've got the teams at the top getting stronger and winning easily, but the money will be filtered down. So, uh, in, and amongst these changes too was uh, the relegation, about having two automatic relegation places and only one for playoffs. But that hasn't been certified yet. That's more of a still of a talking point. Um, but what you know is this ultimately going to work out? Do you think this is this plan is gonna is gonna help the the, length, the league get stronger? The aim by the Eredivisie is to have a, have the Dutch league become one of the top eight leagues in Europe. It's currently sitting in twelfth. Um, We're looking to finish eleventh this season to get an automatic Champions League place back. But top eight is ultimately the aim. Is this realistic with the plan in place? Yeah, but not in the short term. I think to go from 12 to top 8 overnight would be very difficult. I think it's very good the way they are um, they are looking at the relegation um, relegation situation because when you try to explain that to other people it breaks their head and you see how giving second chances in the relegation playoffs lead, leads to a club staying in or can lead to a club not going up from the what is now the Coke and Campion uh, division where that has um, that has um, it could be detriment to their to their budget for the following season, so I I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I can understand the the, the tweet, and I can understand the, always respect the opinion of twi tweets that we receive, but it, it's not as bad as what in terms of. I mean, if look, look, look at Europe for the moment, Ajax are on the on the, on course to qualify for the last sixteen. They reached the Europa League final not so long ago. PSV put the frighteners off Atletico and took them to penalties in the Champions League. So it, it's not a completely lost cause. But I just think this it's, it's, it's good to be innovative. It's good to look at different things. But I think to have a bit of a jump from 12 to 8 in the short term is a little bit too ambitious. But I think if, if, you, if you look at the long term, then it's definitely feasible, yes. The long term, something needs to change because you look at Ajax, they're doing great in Europe uh, this season. They're kind of carrying the Netherlands probably to 11th spot in the automatic place. I think if they, they qualify from the group, it's basically um, confirmed. Um, but, you know, these players like Frankie de Jong, De Ligt, um, Hakim Ziyech, they're behind um, Ajax success and getting somebody like Dusan Tadic. If the league doesn't improve, and the teams below, you know, PSV and Feyenoord don't start showing more resistance. You know, these players aren't going to want to stay at Ajax in the long term. And that's what's going to have to happen for the league to get into the top eight. You're going to have to be able to maintain these players. And these players are going to have to come up against something that's not just, uh, you know, like a, a brick wall just sitting in front of defence and trying to frustrate them the whole time. Because somebody like Frankie de Jong, he's going to eventually want to play against the best in the world. He's not going to get that against, you know, the Knack Breeders, the, the Emmons, the, the, the Grass Caps, who you're beating 3-4-0 um, and then just sitting in their whole half the whole time. You know, it's it's not going to take, um, it's not going to be done by the end of the season. You're not going to be done by the end of the next season, but the next three, four years, something definitely needs to change. Or again, there's going to be an exodus, the, the top young talents going to other leagues, I think. I think it will take three to five, and I think with the young talents going to other leagues as well, they've got to, they've got to be aware that yes, you can have ambition, but are you going to play? I mean, you, you see with the the young and the licht, um, you know, with the success of the national team now, they are not just two excellent players. 
they're also two two very intelligent young men and i think that their the decisions that they make for their next club i think some of us in certain quarters are going to be surprised um i don't know where they're going to go it's far too premature in that respect but they are two players that have so much talent and are so gifted in their respectful positions that it would be a crying shame to have those two players go on from the Netherlands and not play week in, week out and not continue to play at the highest level in Europe. For me, I really hope that you've seen it with the young English players going over to Germany um, and you see it with Delros on the for Berlin. That's the sort of hope I've got for if the younger talents do leave, they go to clubs that they're going to get a chance at and they don't go to the you know, the Manchester Cities, the Chelsea's, where you just get you know, bogged down in the reserves and then you get sent out on loan for years and years. You saw, you know, this week Patrick Van Anhalt said that he was on the brink of quitting football because he was just sick of getting loaned out by Chelsea constantly. Um, you know, the young players need to avoid that scenario and go to clubs where James says they have to play. Um, you know, look at the, the mid-table sides in Germany, look at the mid-table sides in Italy. Um, go to a place where you're going to get constant uh, first-team action because if you play in, then you become automatically a place for the, the national team if you're impressing. And that's what's happened to Delros son. That's what happened to these young English players in Germany. They're now getting a chance in the national team because they're playing week in, week out. They're not going to get that if they sit on a bench at Manchester City or, or Barcelona. I can agree with what you're saying about um, about, about, it, about the, the teams getting stronger and the players will want to leave. If you look more closely about how each team's performed in their league matches, some matches have been fairly straightforward for Ajax and PSV. I'm looking more at PSV, 13 wins out of 13, but narrow wins over Vitesse, who were down to 10 men at some point in the game. Um, a narrow win over Fortuna Sittard away from home in the promoted team too and these aren't the only examples uh, throughout the season they, they have won 13 out of 13 but you can hardly say that it's been straightforward and I think had, had a couple of draws or defeats been within those results we wouldn't have maybe having this conversation uh, that's a very good po- that's a very good point man that's a very good point on that note though uh, Gareth has asked a question on Twitter with Ajax doing well in the Champions League and PSV possibly going out of Europe altogether, will this help PSV's title defence? It won't harm it. I think, um, you know, throughout the cup as well, if they're going to go out of Europe, um, it seems so, with only having the title to, to concentrate on, it, you know, it's not going to hinder the chances. They're five points ahead um, at the moment, and they've still got Champions League group games. If they've only got the league to focus on, it can only be, you know, a, a good thing, I guess, for Mark Van Bommel going forward. And Ajax might be looking at the the last 16 games and you know, might take their eye off a couple of fixtures um, going into them. So, yeah, I think PSV, you know, they've been horrific in Europe, in my opinion, this, this season. I think they've totally changed from their Eredivisie performances to go into these Champions League games, you know, playing a different way, um, less controlling, less attacking. And it's been detrimental. Um, and they'll exit Europe with their tails between their legs this year, I think. Um, but I think they remain favourites for the league for me, just because I think Ajax do want to go further in Europe and they might slip up a couple of times. For me, it's a long old season, as we know, only too well. Um, I stated at the start of the season that I think Ajax will win the Eredivisie and I'm sticking to it. Uh, although, Michael, you make some great points about PSV's fortunate winning Sittard. I think they also scraped past Pexwallow away from home, I believe. 
And I think with the energy and the demands that Van Bommel puts on his very, very young side, I think maybe that will wane towards the end of the season. I don't think that the um, I don't think Ajax will drop many points in the second half of the season. Maybe in and around the potential Champions League last 16 clash, home and away, and also depending on who it's against, I think we might start to see a couple of results. But, you know, I think playing in the Champions League and playing well in the Champions League, as Ajax have done so far this season, I think that gives them even more confidence and even more energy to carry that good vein of form on in the Eredivisie. And I think this, uh, I think this title will go to the wire. So do I. Uh, and I did say Ajax at the start of the season. It's looking more likely to be PSV at the moment. And I think to answer Gareth's question as well, I think it will make a difference if Ajax are going to go far in, in Europe. And I think it might act as a, a sort of fillip that they can continue doing well in Europe um, as, as an achievement for the season rather than having to fight for the title, which they desperately have wanted the last, well, four to five years. Um, except, yeah, I, I think that instead they may, they may take a good run in the Champions League next stages instead of, um, instead of a title if it comes down to that and having to rest players and such. The fan expectancy as well, to follow up on that point, Michael, the fans want to win the title again. Yes, they are delighted of, of how it's gone in the Champions League in a, in a difficult group and playing so well and, and the, the joy of the Benfica win in particular and, and to have such a good start and to come through the qualifying runs. But the main core of the fans and also rumblings at board level, yes, it's going well with the youth. Yes, there are people that are happy, but they want this to culminate in a um, in a title win and should they not win it I'll be very interested to see what happens after that yeah very good points uh, although relating to this Ajax quality of squad uh, one of the final questions we've had submitted to us this week is from Cam and he would like to know who would win this current Ajax squad or a squad that made it to the Europa League final in 2016 and why uh, a very good question. I think just to just to to, to um, sort of balance this argument, consider that if it was a face up between that Ajax then and that Ajax now, rather than Ajax getting to that Champions League final, playing that same match against United, who would win the straight up face off between those two two teams? For me, I think it'd be the Ajax squad that they have now. I think um, talent wise, it's it's a lot higher than um, the one that got to Europa League. Like final, uh, I think the addition of Dusan Tadic, um, you've got Daily Wind in the defence, uh, Frankie De Jong in the midfield, and you know Hakan Ziyech that's at the top of his game at the moment. Um, I think all over the pitch they're strong, and I think there was a few weak points in that Ajax side that got to Europa League final, and I think uh, now they're just stronger all over the pitch. No, I agree with Mike. I think the uh, the current side w would win. I think there's a little bit more creativity and a little bit more. I mean, they're, I think they're more mature at European level now. I mean, you see that with them being on the verge of the uh, of the Champions League last 16 and not being phased going away to play Bayern Munich in Munich. And the way they were fortunate in, to win with Benfica with the way the, the goal happened. But if you know, the joy that it brought and they're more mature at European level and so I, I would agree that, that I think the current squad would, would win if in a tie between those two. Yeah, I, I agree too. Um, all three of us agree that I think that the current Ajax team is better, there's more creativity. You saw in the Champions League final against, sorry, the Europa League final against Manchester United that 
there was a bit of a lack of creativity in the middle of the park and that's something that the likes of Frankie de Jong would offer now and that the players that are still there are more mature um, they're, they're better on the European stage they know how to show their qualities and yeah I think that will continue um, well James and Mike thank you very much for joining me this week um, and hopefully it's not too long again before our next podcast you're more than welcome anytime thank you